Hello, everyone, and welcome to Third Eye with Lorelai. Everybody and welcome to the spooky season, to the Halloween season, and another episode of Third Eye with Lorelai. I'm very excited to be talking to you guys today about something that is super fun for me, and it's sort of, um, you know, it got me sort of into the whole metaphysical realm as a kid, you know, experiencing um, you know, ghosts and spirits and different things that were inexplicable. That's sort of the, the thing that always fascinated me. And so, you know, watching those ghost hunter shows and, you know, even doing some of my own stuff, uh, as I got older, something that always interested me. So I'm really super excited to talk to you guys about ghosts and spirits today. Now, this is going to be a very unique episode because I'm not going to be doing the crystals and the quotes because this is actually a class that I taught live and I actually recorded it. So the sound may be a little bit different because I have a microphone that's picking up not only my voice, but everybody else's that are in the class that are asking questions and uh, doing some responses to um, some of the stuff that I'm teaching. So anyway, I hope that you guys love this episode and um, I hope that you love learning a little bit about the difference between ghosts and spirits and how they are represented in our lives and how we experience them. And yeah, happy, happy Halloween to all of you and have a merry Samhain or a fall season, however you want to do it. Enjoy the thinning of the veil and allow your communication with those beyond our reality to be awesome and all the things. So anyway, I love you guys. Enjoy this class that I taught and love and light to you all. Today I'm going to be talking about ghosts and spirits, one of which we all should have some sort of a connection to because it's something that we've probably all experienced in one at one point in our life or whatever. And sometimes it's the thing that brings us to this point today when we feel like, oh, I've seen, you know, the ghost of my grandmother or the spirit of my grandmother, I should say, um, or the ghost of somebody else or something else. And you experience that energy imprint and it sort of shakes you. It's very different than what we're normally experiencing on the day to day. So, and there is a pretty big difference between a ghost and a spirit because both have completely different energetic imprints and both have a different purpose entirely. Usually ghosts don't have a whole lot of a purpose apart from what they're kind of perseverating in, whereas spirits generally have that freedom to kind of move about and that consciousness. So I have two articles that I picked up that I thought were really good. Um, One of them is uh, significantly longer, but she goes over everything that I kind of wanted to touch on. So it's, it's, 
the narrative is first person, so we're, we're going to be speaking from her voice in this sense. So if I say I, I'm not really speaking from like Lorelai, it's from this author. But I thought it was really, really powerful. Like all the things that I wanted to talk about, she's like, this is this is the thing. And so we're going to do that. But the first one was just sort of like a cut and dry, like this is the thing, these are the differences, and like, so I like that too. So, um, so are there anything that you guys have experienced, any like stories that you want to share about ghosts or spirits or whatever that maybe you have had that you want to share, or you guys are like, let's wait until we've kind of gotten into it? Um, the first time I seen a ghost was when I was eight. Ooh. I yeah. think I was eight. Yeah, but I can wait. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can wait. I can wait. I will. I will say the first time I ever I had felt spiritual energy at a young age as well, but for me it was the first time I actually visualized. It was actually very very scary, and it wasn't like oh I'm small and I don't understand. It was the actual like what was happening that was scary because and and I had a pretty profound validation later on when my sisters had seen the same entity. And um, we were in our Alameda house, and um, we had a bunk bed, and I was always the top bunk. And um, I was laying down, and the light was on. I remember the light being very close to, like, where my head was. And um, the light, I don't remember if it was on or not. Either way, I was kind of looking up at the light, and all of a sudden I see this figure come up right by my head. And it was just the head and shoulders just kind of peeking up. And I looked up. And there was nobody there. And then I looked at the light. That person was still there. And it looked like a man. And all of a sudden, I see him hold up a knife. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, what is that? What is that? And then all of a sudden, he just kind of disappears. And I'm like, what was that? What the hell? And so then, years and years later, my older sister, I was, we had been talking about this or whatever. And she said, did you ever see the man holding the knife? And I was like... yes yes I have and she was like I would have nightmares about that guy like he would show up at my bed and it was just like mind-boggling to have that validation and know that it's not just me that's seeing it I just thought maybe I was just wildly imagining things and you know was just for no reason scared at all at a young age but when you have that type of validation afterwards you're like oh shit, now what was that? And what was in my house and in my room at the time when I was a kid? I like how you mentioned that it it was just like the head and the top extremities and not the lower because I always see pieces of bodies. Yes. And I wonder why. Interesting. Like I'll just see like a pair of legs and I don't see the rest of it and I wonder why. Yes. You know? Huh. That is really interesting, and I'm wondering if maybe it's just that um, that energy isn't like big enough to be seen with the physical eyes, or even if it is just your third eye that's visualizing it. Like, I wonder if there isn't enough there to fully operate, if you will. Yeah, it's sort of like if you think about you know what's on our visual spectrum. There's actually a very small amount that we can be seen. So here, this is where I was talking about the energy stuff that I wanted to talk about hopefully in the next couple weeks, but what our, vi- what our eyes can see in the visual light spectrum is, is actually very small because there's like the red and the orange and then you get into like that 
that, that space of the visual spectrum and it's just that tiny little bit and then everything else goes way too high frequency that you can't see. It's either too low or too high. Like we have to baby, or baby bear it mm -hmm. right and smack in the center in order for our eyes to see. So I think as we heighten our vibration, it expands what we can actually visualize. Um, and in this case, I'm curious if the amount of energy wasn't enough or it was too much or whatever for you to be able to see the full thing. Yeah. Which would be, I mean, this is where my rational brain goes. <laughs> I, think, I think that too, when it, when it comes in, it's like, it's, it's not, I don't have enough or they don't have enough. Yeah. Yeah. That it's sort of like, it. yeah. Or it could be an amalgamation of both. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's why you're only seeing like just this part or just this part, yeah. which makes sense for me at the time being a young child, like only seeing this part. But then again, like, I mean, probably don't want to see the rest. Not interested because that's bloody terrifying. <laughs> so, you know, we always, we all have some sort of circumstances in our life where we feel, visualize, sense different entities that are beyond our, you know, plane of existence, if you will. And glimpsing into that side can be very jarring. It can be very disrupting of our, what we understand to be true. And so a lot of times when we have those moments, it takes us into a new of reality truth so now it's like well what else what else am I not seeing what else am I not understanding because I'm not by myself anymore like I'm not just standing alone in this space and time there are other things that are visiting and can I call those things forward and can I communicate can I have a relationship with these entities and for me and my own uh, understanding and my own experiences yes you can and you can have this in the sense of a guide. You can have this in the sense of just communicating with past loved ones um, and that sort of thing. And then people who are delving into more of the lower vibrational energies, they can utilize them for like a bidding sort of thing, like calling these things to do things for them and that sort of thing. But when we're in the light spectrum of energy and when we're doing things in a light, there's no real like bidding you will it's more of like how can we help how can we heal as opposed to go take care of this for me like, you know what I mean like that sort of level first person yes and I feel there's a lot of people that understand in past lives they've delved into that sort of energetic realm they understand dark magic or dark energy because we've delved into that and that's most likely what took us to our death in those past lifetimes. I'm definitely one of those, for sure. And I know that there's a lot of people that could be watching or whatever that would be like, oh yeah, that's whoo, definitely me, because you feel that within yourself, you know, that that was a truth for what happened to you at some point in your lifetime before. And there could be a sense of, it's funny, it's like a draw to it, but there's also like a repulsion as well. Like there, it's sort of like a forbidden, like draw. Like you want to understand it a little bit more, but you're also kind of terrified of it, just, just a little bit, because you understand where it took you before, even though you don't rationally understand where it took you before. In a sense. Like it's scary, but you can't look away. Yes, like a car wreck. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop looking at it. Why is this happening? That's what. So anyway, 
Um, all right, so let's talk about the difference between ghosts and spirits. So ghosts are tied to the location of their death, usually a sudden or tragic one, then they often don't realize that they are dead. In most cases, they have unfinished business, quote unquote, um, as the deceased person does not accept the way in which they died. In which that really does make a whole lot of sense. And we get that in a lot of movies and TV shows and that sort of thing, the unfinished business portion of this. But I also feel like there's a sense of justice that hasn't been met either. When somebody has, somebody's life has been taken and they sort of perseverate in that unjustified way that their life has been snuffed out, they tend to want to seek vengeance or they tend to want to try and make sense of why they died or how they died in the sense of wanting to find the person or the thing that killed them and get their justice and that sort of thing. And that's where you can kind of get that vengeful spirit vibe with certain ghosts. You know, they're continually doing the same thing or they're going about their day and doing the same thing and not really realizing. Like, there's a couple of movies out there. Like, have any of you seen The Others? Mm-hmm. It's a great example of, like, ghost inhabitation. You know, because the, you should really watch it because it's actually really good. And it makes me sad to think that it's now sort of like a classic movie, even though it's like... What's I don't called? feel like it came out that long ago. It's called The Others. and has Nicole Kidman in it. And... Um, so it's about how, oh, do I want to say it? It sort of ruins like the luster of the twist. I'm not going to say anything. It's a really good example of, of what is what that means. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of different TV shows where, you know, people are experiencing ghosts and they're doing the same thing that they always used to do. You know, you'll have a mother that is constantly, she'll be going to the crib of her child and rocking her child to sleep and putting her down, and then she goes and does her thing. If you go, like, for instance, in San Jose, um, there's a place called the Ainsley House, and the Ainsleys still occupy that home, and you go in and you experience them. They're very kind and cordial people, and you go in, and they're constantly doing their thing, and, you know, they like to be in their house. Now, granted... I feel like they're more of a spirit occupation as opposed to ghost because ghosts, again, they have this sort of like, I'm, I'm continuing to do the same thing over and over again for a reason because I don't understand this isn't my, I'm no longer on this physical plane of existence any longer. So it's almost like they're in a type of like spiritual psychosis. Like a limbo. What happens? How does that happen? Because I'm trying to gather my question. Sure. Um, how do they get separated from their higher self? That is a really great question. Because it's and like there's the higher self and then here's the lower entity with the lower ego emotions. Right. And they just can't connect. Right. To realize that they're gone. That they're gone. Yes. So, and I think that that happens in our physical bodies as well before we have our awakening. We're, in a sense, not always, not completely separate, but we don't have that connection at least with our higher selves in the moment because even though we get those whispers and those things we don't really fully embody that connection and I feel like even without your corporeal form or your physical container you can still have that same issue you can be in a sense separate because you are in this state of psychosis where you are not physically paying attention because this thing is occupying what you are doing as opposed to I'm not alive anymore. I don't have to do this. But they're not paying attention to this because this is more important 
than learning the lesson and understanding what happened to them. You know, so in a sense, it's sort of like you have this connection with your higher self, however, you're not giving it the attention or the intention of what it's actually doing, which is trying to bring you out and pull you towards the light and allow you to embody and engender the lessons that you were meant to understand. And so that's why it's important that we're doing this now so that way we don't get stuck. Mm-hmm. And when we do get stuck <laughs> in this lifetime, we then get bombarded by the same sorts of lessons over and over again until we realize, oh yeah, okay, this is what I need to be doing. And it's the same thing in that soul, spirit, like, I don't want to say separation because that's just another allusion to our existence, you know, that we're separate from all those things because everything is sort of taken in this binary thing where it's like, it's either this or that. And there really isn't. Everything is completely cohesive, and that's why quantum entanglement is so delicious, because everything is connected. Everything has its connection. It's our own minds and our own concept of reality that separates us from the things that are trying to help us. So, does that sort of? Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) I love you, too. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... We use the word ghost and spirit interchangeably, but there is a strong difference between them. According to the late Hans Holzer, professor of parapsychology and writer of the 100, 119 books, I can't even get to my second, let alone like 119 books. That's, did that guy ever sleep? Did he ever? I mean, I don't even Anyway, um, he wrote 119 books on the subjects ghosts are similar to psychotic human beings, incapable of reasoning for themselves. So that sort of speaks to that whole spiritual psychosis phenomenon because they don't have this connection with their higher source guidance. They are stuck perseverating in the pain and torment of what happened or they seem to be happening over and over again. So they're just basically like an emotional projection. Yes. It's almost like they're living in this holographic field over and over and over. Um, spirits, on the other hand, are the surviving personalities of all of us who pass through the door of death in a re- uh, relatively normal fashion. So this is where you have that connection with soul and spirit, with higher guidance and the self. What animates us, what makes us who we are as individuals has now separated from the physical container and is now passed through the veil and can now understand, okay, this is what I did, these are the things, how can I gain more lessons and insight from this lifetime, yada, 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 you get it. You're all one on the other side. Whereas if you disconnect, in a sense, you, you, you have a sense of detachment from this higher self and you can't really make that connection again because you're stuck in this psychosis. You're stuck in this mindset of, but I still have things. I still want to experience things. I'm not going to let go. That's what I mean. um, Holzer wrote that ghosts are tied to the location of their death, usually a sudden or tragic one, and they often don't realize that they are dead. In most cases, they have the unfinished business as the deceased person does not accept the way in which they die. The simplest form of unfinished business can be as innocent as a person being attached so strongly to their home that they cannot leave it behind and pass over. They are known as K2 
caretakers and want to stay to make sure the building is being taken care of, of uh, properly by future owners as well as to their approval. As the other end of the scale, unfinished business can take the form of dark energy when a person's death is extremely violent and unexpected. Now, you'll notice that those caretakers, they can have kind of a personality and an opinion on things and how you, if you are the future owner of said home or whatever, they can have an opinion on what you're doing. So this is when you experience you're moving things around and shifting what's happening. You start to feel that sort of negative energy. Like if you walk into a room and a friend has just gotten like, she's frustrated and or he's frustrated and angry about whatever is happening in the room and you feel it as you enter, you're like, ooh, you okay? What's going on? And it's sort of that same vibration, like they get frustrated and angry about how you're moving things around and it sort of like sifts up the dust and it's like, that's not how I wanted it. What are you doing? This is my house. This is my place. You know, you are violating my space. You know what I mean? So then that, that takes the work of, instead of ownership, you it's more of like a passing of the torch. You know what I mean? You're meeting with this entity and you're trying to be as respectful and loving as possible while still saying, I understand that this is going to be really, really challenging for you. And I'm telling you now that I'm doing this out of love and I want to make sure that your space is well loved and well respected and well cared for. And you don't have to caretake any longer. You, I'm, you know, if, as long as it's a good energy, right? Because a lot of times we don't want, I'm fine with being, having like a spirit or whatever in my house if they're if they're good if they're if they're good and they're trying to make peace and love and raise the vibration of the home great have at it stick around you know what i mean because that's only going to increase the vibration but if they're constantly getting in your face then it's like okay now it's time to find your light and that sort of thing move to your next thing and that that is also a thing that you can do is clearing the energetic space of the home or the place of business so that way they can find their their next place <laughs> and you can maintain in this space without that constant barrage of frustrated energy because they don't like that that plant is there or that this piece of furniture is there or that it's not this century type of you know decoration and now we're in the 21st century and they're like what the hell is that what is all this electronic equipment what is happening and you're just kind of like okay hey listen Um, and then the other, the other side with the unfinished business and with the dark energy, that's something that you have to address straight away because that's violent energy, that's painful energy that needs to be um, respectfully and lovingly understood but also like helped move into the next. I almost feel like if you're able to know the story and explain that story, you know, and if you're able to explain it, sometimes they're able to meet that. Sometimes they're not. Either way, Archangel Michael, Sage, a couple of other people in the situation to move it forward. Just know that your vibration needs to be up here and not here. There is no fear in this. Oh, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> I saw. I was asking, who do you call on to remove the? The energies. I saw the blue light come down, and you're like, Archangel Michael. Uh, <laughs> you're like, okay, thanks. 
yeah, usually Michael's the one that you want to bring into that fold when you are trying to, I don't want to say eliminate, but allow the energies in the space to move on, you know, because you're not trying, you're not, you're not killing the energy. You, first of all, you can't, that's just science. You can't destroy, you can change energy. Now, granted, this energy has to be able to, you know, do that for itself, but there is a higher vibration energetic that needs to be understood here. Fear is not one of them. So if you are afraid of ghosts or spirits, then you're, there's no, you don't have any foothold. So you have to understand that your own energy is way up here, and if you're, you know, conversing with angels and source and higher consciousness, they aren't going to be able to touch that. They have to do as you ask. So know that first and foremost, that your energy, if it's up here, they have to do as you ask because they have to rise or go. Okay? All right, so surprisingly, only a small percentage of paranormal sightings are true ghosts. The majority of them are really sightings of what we call residual energy, which I totally, totally believe. Uh, when an emotional event is replayed over and over again at the same spot and at the same time. Um, I definitely feel that whenever um, I go to the Whaley House in San Diego. Um, you see those, uh, you, you kind of step into the area where these people have died and you feel that imprint on that field of energy. And it's just kind of like, oh, oh my God. Like you can't breathe as well, or you know, if somebody is like got sick with pneumonia, you feel it in your chest. If somebody was hung in a certain area, you feel it around your neck, that constriction. Um, if children were playing in an area, sometimes you feel like brushes against your leg or somebody trying to take your hand. And it's very interesting and a little jarring <laughs> as you move through the space and are trying to figure out what's here right now with me because you know you're not by yourself, but you seem to be by yourself. So spirits, on the other hand, are not tied to one place. It is believed that spirits are discarnate entities, meaning that they are the soul that has survived when a person dies and no longer has a physical body in which to reside. They are free to move from one dimension to another and can return to us at free will. Often it is just a genuine emotional tie to a loved one, such as wanting a family member to know that a deceased relative is okay, that can be the cause of a visit by the spirit. So this is something that you probably have with your dad, Sophia, is that he is no longer in corporeal form. He is only of light, and so he's able to go wherever he needs to go at any point in time that he wishes. And there are often times where you feel those sensations of, yes, this is him. And it's out of nowhere. You'll just be doing going about your business and, Hi, Dad. <laughs> oh, hi. And it's just him coming up to you and, I love you. And, you know, checking in and then going and doing his thing. And it's just, it's that nice feeling, that warmth, and those little things that remind you of him. The mm -hmm. smell, like the sound, the feeling, all is Dad. So, and that's very much this the case with any other spiritual entity that is just visiting that visitation um okay so now moving on to the second one which has a little bit more again this is first person so not lorelei but this is this author <laughs> 
So unpacking our fascination with the paranormal, how to know the difference between different types of energetic entities, and why we create and consume fictional monsters. Oh, I kind of love that. Let's see it. So she starts with, I am here, what powerful words and a message. It can have many different meanings depending on your perspective, but the absolute first one that comes to mind, especially as we're settling into a beautiful autumn in nor the Northern Hemisphere, is the energy of those who passed is still here. Even if our loved ones and ancestors aren't in the physical world and physical bodies, their energy is still here. It's eternal. Personally, as a human who struggled with abandonment earlier in life, and I'm sure even for people who haven't thought of a past on loved one still being here is comforting, warm, and gives hope. My, um, so the, again, first person narrative. My youngest son asked me the other day if I believe in ghosts. I'm not going to lie because every conversation can be te a teaching moment if it, need, if it needs to be. So I said, yes, I'm not afraid of his potential fear and our questions, but he wasn't afraid. He then asked me, are ghosts and spirits the same thing? No, they're not really, even though they have similarities. I told him that. He asked how they're different, and here's the idea of what I said and what I believe. The difference between spirits and ghosts. We oftentimes use the words spirits and ghosts interchangeably. Um, I've always leaned towards thinking a loving, kind motive is associated with spirits, while any malevolent or haunting motives are associated with ghosts. However, if we get technical about it, that's not really the case. So let's talk about their essence. Humans are manifestations of spiritual energy, while ghosts are manifestations of human energy. I love that. Yeah, that One sort of shifts time. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so humans are manifestations of spiritual energy. This is why we're having a human experience as spiritual beings, right? While ghosts are manifestations of human energy. So they're continuing to live in that human existence while being in a different essence. Ghosts are impressions in space and time. They're an image that is unlikely to interact with you while spirits are the souls of humans and other sentient beings like animals who have passed on. Spirits can interact with you in the physical environment if they choose to do so. Ghosts are oftentimes unaware of their ghosts while spirits are aware and active. So I'd argue that ghosts don't have consciousness while spirits do. That's the main difference. However, if we get technical about it, oh, I'm sorry, because of, the, because of this, ghosts are stuck while spirits are free, which makes sense, that whole unfinished business, that, that stuck mentality of doing the same thing over and over again. So their appearance and atmosphere. Spirits and ghosts can look similar in appearance if you can, if you can even see them as in they can appear as apparitions. So this is the only the bottom or upper half or the feet or the hands or the whatever. Spirit, um, let's see, I don't believe I've ever actually, well, this is, again, this author, she doesn't believe she's actually seen a real ghost or an apparition of energy replaying through time. However, I do believe that I've expanded massive amounts of energy in moments of initial grief and heartache that absolutely left an imprint in space and time. What? Some moth that just flew in. A moth? Yeah. yeah. I think he's under this chair. Oh, was it really big? Because it's both. Like, <laughs> yeah, Sophia's like, no. <laughs> I don't see it. Okay. Well, okay. Well, hi. Could you please stay where you are? Okay. Um, let's see. I believe this can happen with anyone alive or dead. 
I do believe I'm in the presence of spirits regularly, which I'm sure all of you experience. Uh, when I am, the energy feels light, tingly, and loving, although I typically can't see them, which is true for me as well. I typically can't see spirits or ghosts unless they're, I'm closing my eyes and I'm asking them to move forward and I can sort of see them here. Um, when I do, it looks like extremely faint, misty light in an ambiguous shape that slightly resembles a person. Only a transparent silhouette that is so faint, I think my eyes are playing tricks on me. This is rare, though. Um, I have felt deep, full-body chills and a breeze under my covers while laying in bed that goes from my toes to the top of my head when a loved one stops in to say hi. I have felt tingling on my head, arms, and legs, and I have seen beautiful pink and gold orbs floating above heads, while, uh, above head while spark, sparks and light, or with sparks and light. I have seen one perfectly functioning light flicker at family gatherings and especially on the Christmas Eve after my grandmother had died. When my son was not a year old, right after my grandmother died, his rocking horse that had a speaker that would play trotting a name kept going off on its own, but stopped after I acknowledged who it was, and I felt warmth and unconditional love. Seen butterflies at weird times, found feathers in weird places, and got goosebumps when I needed to follow a train of thought or direction. So, their sounds. Personally, she's heard knocks on walls, knocks on or knock over dolls, say her name, play uh, and, and play through my head while falling asleep as I'm flipping through radio stations with some static in between. Most prominently, instead of hearing, I just know, I've received a message because it's information I know or have an impression of knowing, but don't know exactly how I know. <laughs> and I don't always believe it's until it happens. I believe it until it happens. Then I look back and always say, I knew that was going to happen. How did I know that? It's all those little whispers and the little messages of understanding about what's gonna what's what's happening here can spirits be good and bad so the short answer is yeah. um, a spirit can be good and it could be bad if a ghost is merely a replay of energy it is neither good nor bad it is just doing its own thing in a ghost if a ghost is neither good nor bad then what are the entities that cause hauntings and bad feelings so this these are spirits if a spirit is a soul of a human, it stands to reason that the soul can carry characteristics of a human life or lives and personality. Conversely, humans also carry characteristics of their spirit. We, have, um, we all have the, ch the chance to make better choices. Um, therefore, just as we choose here in our physical world, a soul can choose love or it can choose fear. A soul or spirit can choose manipulation, low-density emotions and actions, and can embrace or reject God or fall on a spectrum somewhere in between rejecting or embracing God and the universe. So how to know if a spirit is good or bad? And I feel like most of you sense that, first of all, you just have to check in with your emotions around it. Because a lot of times you will encounter a good spirit, but you're scared. And that's where you have to kind of introspect and understand, like, where is it actually good or bad? Because your emotions need to be understood first. Because if you're nervous and scared, you may be encountering something that's gonna change your life, but you're too nervous or scared to understand what's happening here. Maybe it's the way it feels or the way that it looks or the sensation that it's causing. So to understand where you're at makes the whole experience shift because the perspective needs to be understood where you are. 
but let's get to know like if they're actually good or bad, right? So um, obviously we don't want to interact with bad spirits, right? If you get a sense for no reason that it's bad, that drop in your stomach where you're like, no. Like remember, you want to feel what it feels like to say, what does a no feel like in your body? And what does a yes feel like in your body? If you're feeling a no vibration, then you do not interact with that energy, right? Did you have a question? I see you. Sometimes they come to me and they just want to be heard. Uh huh. And they just want someone to process their feelings for them. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of are freed in a way. Mm. Yes. You know? Yes. Like they just want someone to listen to what happened to them. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so I find myself often, I find myself listening to their traumas and kind of watching them play out what happened and I kind of just liberate it, mm. you know? Yeah, so you're doing exactly as they're needing. So it's that whole like sixth sense, <coughs> you know, paying it forward mentality where they want to be seen and understood because they either will, they never got that in their living existence mm -hmm. and so now that somebody has seen and understood what has happened then they have that freedom of I am understood and they can let go sometimes that's not the case though yeah sometimes they want to control yeah and that's where we say mm, that's not for me I'm not I'm not to be controlled and you don't have a body so <laughs> sorry not sorry <laughs> you know so um they know that they're um see the bad spirits they know that they are rejected here for the safety and well-being of my family and myself so this is like her saying i don't accept bad energy i reject that energy because that's for my safety of me and my family before i knew the difference or even knew much of spirit i did live in a house with my mom and sisters that we believe was haunted by a mean mad or malevolent spirit we would all get uneasy feelings while sitting on the couch in the living room just watching tv together we would get an uneasy feeling when walking down the hallway that's the best way I can describe being in the presence of a negative spirit, a general feeling of unease that has nothing to do with ego or fear or diagnosed anxiety even. It's different than generalized anxiety, but hard to explain. There's no uh, unease at all when the presence of a, with, a, with the presence of a good spirit. There is nothing but warmth and unconditional love. And genuinely, some, you know, we just don't, like, there's just none of that. You know what I mean? There's none of that, like, bad, uneasy, like, something's out to get me, that sort of thing. And if you notice, this is a good way of saying, so I, I do have generalized anxiety. I'm constantly anxious. And so I have to really check in with myself constantly about finding my center, realizing that I don't have to do everything all at once. But if I'm in a space where I am anxious, really anxious, and I don't feel good and I feel unsafe, but yet I go like 500 feet to the right and I feel okay, Something is happening in that space. This isn't just me being in my head. This isn't me just like being anxious for no reason. I'm interacting with some sort of energetic imprint that's still there. And I need to, it's, it's interacting with me in some kind of way. And it's not making me feel good. So whatever is trying to be communicated isn't communicating in the way that it probably needs to. Or it is and I just need to step away. So there's my 
there's mine. <laughs> so accepting both sides of spirit. So um, to reason our way through good and bad because each state of existence has a purpose. I want us to do that because as humans we have the ability to coexist with both good and bad spirits while not being unduly influenced by them. We can see them simply as a part of the natural order of existence. We can understand what a good spirit is and what a bad spirit is in a way that detaches our emotions from it. At that point, we can better deal with the emotions that comes if we are to come in contact with a spirit of any type. We can be empowered and in control of our own body, mind, and spirit. When you look at the bigger picture of existence, taking in and considering the vastness of all, or as much as you can, of creation, you start to notice that there is no such thing as really good and bad. When we're focused very much on our human lives and existence, we label things and situations as people um, and people as good or bad based on how they affect ourselves as individuals, our loved ones, society, the environment, and more. If a thing or situation has an impact or outcome that goes against what we want or need or it makes us feel what we perceive as a negative emotion, we tend to label it as bad. On the other hand, when a thing or situation has an impact or outcome that promotes what we want to want or need or makes us feel what we perceive as positive emotion, we tend to label it as good. Again, we're falling back into this binary structure of labeling things in order to feel safe in our environment and understand where our boundaries are. Um, so if you believe in God, you must acknowledge that he, I hate that she put he in this, that it created all. They created both what we perceive as bad and what we perceive as good. If this is the case, then we trust God or source. What do we spend our time trying to avoid the bad and get more of the good? Should we not seek balance instead? And this is the thing that I feel is really delicious about this. So balance is a state our bodies continually seek. Nature also continually seeks balance, equilibrium, homeostasis. It's a natural and involuntary tendency in our body by design to seek balance. Balance would not exist without good and bad. Balance requires that you learn from the bad and heal, which also promotes growth. Growth is good and can bring joy. We appreciate the joy, but if we're not reminded of what it's like to be without it, our appreciation can wane. So you see, there's a purpose for good and for bad. Uh, creating boundaries. <laughs> so however, <laughs> seeking balance and being aware of the duality of nature, even appreciating its purpose and the bigger picture doesn't mean that you have to welcome all that's bad into your life. To the contrary, you can set boundaries so that you don't have to constantly engage with stressors such as dangerous entities or bad spirits. And again, when you're interacting with that lower vibrational energy, that means you're consenting to interact. So if you are in a space where you sense that bad energy, you now have a choice. You can engage or you can disengage because your vibration is, is your choice. You know, you can't, if you, if you, you have the choice to come down here, but they don't have any choice. They must either elevate or disappear. And a lot of times they don't want to elevate or they don't know how to or whatever. The lessons have not been learned. They're still down here for a reason. And the story is there why we're experiencing this lower vibrational energy or bad energy. 
if, our, if we're up here and we encounter this lower vibrational energy, we now have the choice to either interact or disengage. And that's the important thing. We don't need to be afraid of whatever is down here because it doesn't have any power unless we give it power. So that's, that's the big takeaway here. Most people are scared of what they don't understand. And if you understand that you're now interacting or you're experiencing, I should say, a lower vibrational entity or whatever, it is your choice. You, you now are faced with a choice of, again, interacting or disengaging with it. I know it seems very simplistic because as empaths, we want to help. How can I help raise your vibration? Well, you could go through that rigmarole and create more stress and pressure on yourself. Or you could say, this isn't my purpose to make your situation better. If I, in the goodness of my heart, want to help you raise your vibration, then we can take that time and effort and do that sort of thing. However, I'm focused on what I'm supposed to be doing here. What am I supposed to be doing here? Am I supposed to be raising my vibration? Am I, am I wanting to continue upward, or am I going to come down so that this entity feels better? At which point do we decide that because, okay, so let's say that over the period of three months you're experiencing um, lower vibrational entity in your in your space and it's kind of like nagging at that point and you, you, you want to push it away. At that point, do you just say, am I pushing this away out of fear? And the only way to understand this is to experience it? Hmm. Or do we say, this isn't my job? Hmm. Well, again, you want to readdress your emotions in the situation. Are you afraid of this energy? And if you are afraid, then you're giving it what, in a sense, you're, you're feeding it. You're giving it power. So if you are afraid, then we need to understand why. Why are you afraid in this moment? Because you do have the power in the situation that you are willingly giving to this entity. And, it, and, you know, that isn't a knock or a, this is, you know, how, you know, it, it is what it, everybody does it. Everybody has that sort of like, why, you know, I don't understand why I'm scared of this, but I'm feeling the sensations that this perseverating spirit is feeling. You know, this lower energy, this fear, anger, resentment, frustration, pain, suffering, lust even, all of it is engendered in that lower vibrational energy and you're experiencing it and so you're afraid of that because you're probably up here and now you're like, oh, what the hell? And so you're now encountering that choice again of helping or, you know, pushing it away. And in a sense, you don't have to really, you have to find a, a, the balance between like pushing it away or inviting it to go elsewhere. And I know that sounds a little like same thing, and it kind of is in a way, but that, that, that rhetoric and that power is very important to understand because you're doing it from a space of love as, in a, as, as opposed to a space of fear or force. And a lot of times fear and force will not do the job. Like it's that whole exorcist mentality, the power of Christ compels you. And it's sort of like they're scared of this damn thing. There's a reason why it's laughing at them right now. Because it's feeding it what it wants. It, they're scared. They're terrified. 
and they're 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 looking at this external thing to help them when really the thing that was going to help them the whole time was on the inside. Your God source resides within you, and you can project this outward and say, "This is not where you're meant to be," and I I sense your frustration and your anger, but this isn't where you're supposed to be. I invite you to move on. I invite you to move to your next experience. This isn't the place, though. In love, I ask you to leave. In light, I ask you to move forward. Do you feel the vibration of that statement? Do you feel how that's different than saying, go away? Mm-hmm. Go away is very triggering. But if you were to say to something or someone, I love you, but this is not the place for you. I want you to move forward because I love you. Holy mackerel, that's different. It still is like, oh, I don't want to go, but I get it. You know what I mean? There's an understanding there as opposed to a forceful, fearful rhetoric or statement, I should say. Okay? Um, Okay. Let me see. Where did I leave off? Accepting both sides of spirit. Did we talk about that already? Yes. Human lives existence. We label things situations. Be good at that. Okay. Should we not seek balance instead? Creating boundaries. I think we just started talking about that, right? Mm-hmm. Go. Uh, okay. If you're ever uncomfortable around a certain energy, such as a bad spirit, one that intends to do you harm or become manipulative and dangerous, you can simply create boundaries. And you can. Um, and you can do that in a myriad of different ways. I mean, I see on um, shows they do the salt circle. That's a very Wiccan practice, which I love because salt is purifying. You can also take a selenite wand and do like a little circle of light around you. Um, you know, in a myriad of, of different things. You can do the spray, you can do holy water, that sort of thing. It's the intention behind the tool that gives it that powerful energy. So some people do with uh, do this with intentions in their mind while others use crystals and salt. <laughs> I love it when they validate me right after I say it. <laughs> Uh, you can say go away, and you can say stop, and you literally have the power to not allow that energy near you or in your life. If you feel too weak to enforce your boundary, you can find and enlist the help of credible paranormal professionals who know what to do. So many of us have unknowingly create boundaries for the good spirits too. We ignore and deny our gifts, abilities, and connection to spirit because we're afraid. So really, fear is the sort of thing that we have to understand. You know what I mean? If we're afraid, ask why. Why are you afraid? Because what's the opposite of fear? Understanding and love, right? When we understand what's happening, we're less likely to be afraid in that situation. I can tell you one thing. um, I know this seems sort of a stretch, but as a labor and delivery nurse, I knew and understood the process of birth so well that going into the birth, even though I knew I was going to be in pain and I was a little apprehensive, I wasn't afraid. I knew that it was going to be shitty. But I also knew I had choices about getting up a girl. But I had choices, and I knew what to expect. And I, the other thing is I also do cervical exams quite a bit and every single time I work. And so I functionally knew how it worked so in a sense it sort of made it less painful for me because I knew what was happening and it's like okay there you know that pressure sensation that painful sensation that's fine it's okay because I know what they're doing and I understood in their mind because I did it all the time what was happening 
So understanding really helps you in that process. It sort of gives you a leg up on the experience in a way. There can be less pain, there can be less frustration, and above all, a whole hell of a lot less fear. You know? Um, okay, so how ghosts and spirits are connected to our own humanity. We don't have to be afraid. We all come from the same energy. We're all connected through being energy, having energy, and the nature of energy, and energy combined with consciousness. So let's start to kind of break some of that down. So energy, we as humans are spirits in physical form, living out an existence to learn lessons and further our growth as beings, entities, and souls. We have energy, we expend and receive energy. Energy can neither be created nor destroyed, which is a scientific fact, merely transferred to different objects. Energy can also change form. So based on these facts, it's safe to think that we, when we leave the human body, our energy disperses. It can be in many places all at once or in one place all at once. It's no longer physical. Instead of thinking about labeling ghosts, spirits, and humans, we can try thinking of it all as simply energy. What makes that energy loving or malevolent is its consciousness and what it decides to do based on that consciousness. But that energy and that consciousness is not your responsibility, first and foremost. What are you responsible for? Yourself, your energy. That's the only thing that you have control over. You don't have her control over mine, I don't have control over yours, all the things, right? You only have control over your energy and how you raise it or lower it and how you make those choices about your energy. So, in like we were saying, in, in having this communion with one another and having this, in a sense, uh, connection even with other entities, it is a way for us to receive communication. It is not, however, a sense to receive control. So you are not controlled by anything other than you. So in that sense, you can find your empowerment and power in the situation when you encounter any other spiritual energy, you have the choice, ultimately. Um, okay, consciousness. When we break existence down as simply energy, it's honestly really weird to think about energy having consciousness. But if energy does have consciousness, that means consciousness doesn't come from being in the body. The body receives consciousness from being animated by spirit. This is undoubtedly why animals have consciousness too. So three definition of consciousness comes up uh, when the author Googled the definition for it. The first one is the state of being awake and aware of one's surroundings. The second one is the awareness of perception of something by a person. And the third is the fact of awareness by the mind of itself and the world. All three of these definitions have the word awareness in common. <coughs> it seems the more aware we are, the freer we are. Consciousness is what gives the ability to choose. So, this is where it gets a little bit interesting. How zombies, ghouls, mummies, vampires, and other creepy fictional characters fit into real life. And this is where I really got excited about this article, because I was like, oh, she's going to talk about it. I love it. <laughs> okay. So, for the thrill, escapism, or social commentary as a culture, we seem to have a preoccupation with zombies, ghouls, mummies, vampires, and monsters of all sorts. We oscillate as a society 
between which fictional ghoul we're obsessed with for a time. Um, for a while, vampires were mainstream. I still feel like they are. And then just zombies. What? Say it again. I just watched all the Twilight movies. <laughs> I know. Well, and you know, here's the thing that they did that was very clever, and this didn't come just from Twilight. This actually, I feel, started well before that. Because if you think of how vampires maintain animation, they feed off of hu living human beings, right? But they do it in a very intimate way. They bite their neck, which is a very intimate space to be involved. And so when they bite their neck, that's kind of sexy. Am I not right? Like, if you think about being intimate with somebody, they're, they're, they're in this area. And so they've sexualized vampires, which makes it kind of hot to interact with a fucking vampire. <laughs> But it's not. They're taking your fucking life force energy. So it's funny how we've twisted it to make it into something that's desirable. And that's where freaking societal norms and conditionings can really fuck with your head. Because now you want to fix this vampire. That's feeding. I'm going to make it. He's going to be in love with me. She's going to fall in love with me. And I'm going to, I'm going to be the thing that makes it change. I'm going to be the thing that drives it to wanting to be a better thing. Oh, stop it. They That's, play on our emotions and our hope. Yes, and it's no. First of all, again, you are only in control of you and only control of what you're doing in your situation, not about what fucking Edward Cullen is doing, okay? Or, oh, interview with the vampire. Oh. Yes. Oh, okay, okay, what Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise are doing. <laughs> She's like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> that was the OG freaking Twilight. You gotta watch that. Oh. Have you seen it? it? No. Oh, please. <laughs> okay. I just watched that, oh. actually. Oh, and God. there's a new vampire movie coming out, too. It's called The Invitation. It's really delicious. <gasps> Can't wait. See, and I'm such a sucker for, because I, I definitely fell into that. And who could, who could freaking blame me? I'm one of billions of people that have fallen into that same sexual trap of vampirism being hot, you know? I mean, look at Edward Cullen. He sparkles. He shines like a diamond <laughs> in the sunlight. <laughs> you know? And he's in love with Bella. And everybody wants to be Bella. Right. Because she's got the werewolf and the vampire situation. Like, bitch got both sides. It's not even fair. We all want to be Bella. And she's like... Oh, nobody understands me. Nobody gets. Oh, everybody <laughs> fucking understands you. Gets you. Don't even play that card, Bella Swan. Like we all get it. I'm not fooling anybody. Okay. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um. All right. So, where was? Oh, uh, zombies took over the Zeitgeist. If we didn't binge True Blood, oh, that's another one. True Blood or The Walking Dead at their heights during a time when we needed escapism as a collective to cope with the grind of life, we're now devouring all the true crime true crime podcasts and reality TV that we can get our hands on to learn about real life monsters. Because if you think about it, monsters are just a recreation of real life people. How many of you have you experienced being with somebody that drains you completely? Who makes you feel less than? who overpowers your situation. 
these are the real vampires, ghouls, and zombies. They make you feel like you are the walking dead because they take your energy and they do not reciprocate. And this is where it is a little less sexy. Right? Because we perseverate, you know, this is what society is going to do. And this is what it's still doing. Is that it's going to keep you in this conditioning of these things that are meant to harm you are now good. They're the things that you want. You want to be the Bella Swan in the situation between two evil things. That are, you're, there's this object that's changing from a human into something that's going to eat you. And then you're seeing this other person that's going to be so inviting and wonderful that it's going to drain you dry, but yet you want to keep coming back to it over and over and over again. And these things aren't good. They're not good. But yet society tells you differently with all these beautiful stories that are so delicious. They're so sexy and inviting and drives you into that codependency. I want to fix it. I want to make it better because it thrives on your wanting to nurture and help and heal as empaths. And this is where we need to discover our boundaries and what is true and what is illusion. Okay? Okay. So <laughs> she also says, I think the true crime craze is fueled by our need to understand something so it's not as scary. Our need to understand something may lead to the ability to conquer it, fix it, or control it in some way. These are just speculations. I don't consume much true crime. Which, honestly, like... If I sit down, I'll just binge watch a lot of true crime stuff, but I don't usually try to do that a lot of times because I really like being in my fantasy world a lot of the time. So I'm watching all the fantasy stuff quite a bit. Just got finished watching The Boys, which was, oh, it's gory as fuck, but it's good. It's good. It's really good. So, and it just, I like the things where it's like, Mentally, it's really going to like make you see where this is actually happening in real life. You're like, oh, shit, that is the circumstance of our life right now. Like where we're at as a society. You know, we have these people that are supposed to be superheroes and they're corrupt as fuck. And then we have everybody else that's buying into the garbage and propaganda of these superheroes and the companies that are, are giving them money. And here we are just falling in love with them, thinking that they have their best, our best interest not the case. Never will be the case. Ever. Right? Have you seen that movie, Don't Look Up? Yep. Just like that. Yes. Absolutely. Except for that's more like, that may fucking happen. Yeah. Like, 100%. (laughs) Actually, it did. And during the pandemic. That was a direct nod, in my opinion, in my opinion, that was a direct nod to the COVID-19 pandemic and how everybody responded to it. You have a vast majority of people that are like, shit, once they knew, and then you had the other side that's like, it's not actually happening. I'm not going to pay attention to it. It's not real. We don't have to do any of that. Oh, girl. <laughs> but we'll get into that later. Okay. But what fuels this obsession with conquering, fixing, and controlling things? Why do we create fictional versions of monsters? What role do they play in our lives? We can get a thrill from creating and consuming car- uh, caricatures of our darkest parts, romanticizing them even. And then being entertained by them. Even though horror movies, haunted houses, and reality TV with ghost hunters and demon possession can be scary, it's a safe kind of scary. It's a way to boost our adrenaline without having to really go into fight, flight, or freeze. 
these pop culture monsters make our own dark parts more palatable as we become desensitized. We see a part of ourselves in them, which to me, I kind of really love that. When you make those associations of where you see your darkness, it allows you to see the balance of your light as well. Where do you struggle? And where do you drain yourself or others dry? And that's, that's a hard question to ask because it's like, oh, shit. Like even, so I've gotten a lot of you asking me this question as uh, Rachna and I created Siren and Isis. And it's like, is that your goddess? Sirens are not goddesses. Sirens are malevolent creatures. And that's where my origin story started, was as a siren that basically pulled the energy from other people. I drained people dry in order to continue living. And I did that by alluring them into the water with my voice, with you know whatever they wanted to see. I let them see it to bring them into the water. And it is in identifying as that old malevolent being that I'm able to rise to my light, rise to my understanding, and see where maybe I have done wrong and be better. Because our scar tissue there is there for a reason. It's not to remember pain, but to remember, remember circumstances so that we do better, right? So even though we have Siren and then we have the opposite, which is Isis, who is so totally different and so totally a goddess, you have the balance. You have this dark and light energies that are working together to create beauty, to create revolution and evolution. But, oh, later. Okay, sounds good. So we want to like all of these monsters <laughs> for, who, for who they are. We want to. We want to like them. And maybe there's a portion of us who also want to hate them. We want to hate them for who they are. And in the same way, pop culture monsters are a more palatable way to do that. They're safe. They're safe emotional playgrounds. Whether they're manifestations of what's inside of us or reflect back what we need in the moment from escapism to embracing ourselves, they let us play. And being able to play makes being scared of death more palatable too. It gives us some insight into it and some control. Maybe not over it, but around it. Honestly, this can be true of any fictional character in any story. Fictional monsters also make us think. If done masterfully, horror shows can present metaphors for deep and difficult commentary about society, religion, relationships, and more. Perhaps if the commentary was stated more directly, we wouldn't listen to it. My husband and I have been watching Midnight Mass on Netflix over fall break with the kids um, after they've gone to bed. It employs masterful storytelling. So she's going to talk about it. So if you haven't watched Midnight Mass, hopefully this doesn't ruin or spoil. Midnight Mass is a fantastic example of using metaphor to depict a human construct that we should examine. What parts of religion have been erroneously humanized? with themes such as creating false gods, misinterpreting signs and life lessons, as humans can be prone to do, the damage that can be caused by following a human spiritual leader who is imperfect even if good, you walk away from this show, this show questioning and trying to see both sides of the duality presented. It's a lesson in perspective. It's a lesson in falling away from God in an attempt to follow God. Midnight Mass, we highly recommend it. <laughs> our Halloween favorite. So I love that because we veer away from the internal God source 
and look towards the external. We're constantly looking for this external thing to fix what's happening, when all along it's always been in here. It's always been in here. So once we learn how to, instead of looking outward for our answers and we look in, inward, we begin to start to see where we can shift to make some really positive, good changes because it's coming from us and not anything else. Right? Okay. Taking care of your spirit. Consuming art, even in the form of movies and television, is one example of taking care of your spirit. For me, music. Music is tremendously healing for me. Because first of all, it forces me into the vibration of what is being listened to. Sometimes you have to be a little bit careful, but sometimes it empowers whatever emotion that I'm feeling. I, uh, as I was growing up, I would listen to, they still are my favorite, I would listen to Incubus and Rage Against the Machine. And Rage Against the Machine is probably one of the most like angry, anarchist <laughs> rock groups, but damn do they speak to my heart, heart and soul. Like as somebody who wants to see the revolution of mankind, who wants to shake the foundation and really see us rise to our potential and stop being so egotistical about every fucking thing and really learn where we're connected and how our differences should be celebrated and not bastardized and isolated and segregated. So, Rage Against the Machine. And then Incubus, I don't know what Brandon Boyd is. He's some kind of earth angel, but I'll tell you this much. All of his like lyrics and everything, I'm just kind of like, is this the asshole reading my diary? <laughs> He read in my journal because this is rude. Because <laughs> everything really spoke to what was important for me. And one of my most favorite songs that has ever been written by Incubus is called Drive. Whatever tomorrow brings, I'll be there with open arms and open eyes. Right? Fucking 16 years old hearing those lyrics. Like, that is important information. Hold the wheel and drive. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. It's simple concepts, but yet so important to understand. So, I'll move on. So, consuming art. For me, it's music. It's also art in and of itself. If I see somebody who's created an art piece, like art galleries, oh, I'll be there for hours. Hours. Especially if it's pieces that really speak to me. There's, uh, there's an Italian artist that I used to look at all of his stuff. Actually, I have a whole book of them. And Italian art, because the way that they've depicted people was very realistic for me, and yet so fantastic. And they would have people with wings, they would have people with halos, but they would also, these women were so beautiful. And they weren't like, they weren't, I hate saying this, but they weren't super skinny. Like, they had smaller breasts, they had hips, they had bigger backsides, they, they had what looked like a woman figure. And it helped me to readjust my perspective of female beauty. Because it's not just about the societal norms of looking like a 12-year-old boy with you know, fake tits and no hips and being able to do, I don't know, whatever. It, I, I just don't agree with that societal understanding. But that's the thing about this Italian artist that I really loved because it helped me to kind of shift that focus like oh like I'm seeing this this naked body and it's beautiful 
and it really helped me to move into that. So I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting off base, but it inspired me. So music and art, so <laughs> music and art are huge vectors for me to feed my spirit and my soul, in addition to nature. But I feel like that's a very well understood construct. Um, if done in a way that isn't all about numbing your emotions or replacing real life connections. So that's another thing is there's a difference between numbing and feeding. So if we are drinking or taking drugs to numb our emotional like perspectives on things, that is not feeding. That is pacifying. So you have to do the work in order to get through the emotions. And for some of us, it, it's harder than others. But in order to actually feed your soul, you have to understand where these emotions are coming from and to not dull them with external things. And that can be really challenging. And I tell you that, well, I do that all the time. I will go home and be like, I need a glass of wine. Fuck this day, I need a glass. <laughs> and we're, we all do it. Some For some of us, it's problems. You know what I mean? For some of us, it's a real problem. You know, I, I have lots of friends that have issues with opioid addiction and with alcohol and with other types of drugs because they it's too much. Nurses right now, healthcare workers, it's bad. It is fucking bleak right now. <laughs> because it's just one pandemic after the next. Monkeypox came up and I'm like, I fucking quit this job. Are you serious? I cannot do another pandemic. No thank you. Hi Lisa. So anyway, I digress. So if you do this to help foster positive emotions, you enjoy feeling you're on the right track. So think of it that way. If you're trying to numb the sensation of the day, we are not feeding the soul. We are numbing the situation. So if you're like, it's been a really hard day, I'm gonna have a glass of wine, it makes you feel good for a little bit, but you still haven't really processed through the thing, then we're not really doing the work. But if it helps you kind of get to that point where you can like settle, then it's okay. I feel in my mind and in my heart. I could be completely wrong, which I'm open to that. Ultimately, taking care of your spirit simply involves doing the things that fulfill you. Putting your well-being first and then nurturing important relationships and activities outside of yourself that enable you to embrace living, being alive, and being human. So a part of being human is having those circumstances like being with friends, being in nature, experiencing art and poetry and music and dance and all the things that make this human existence really exceptionally beautiful. Because our capacity to create can be so beautiful, which is part of the draw towards being here. Am I right? Having that connection and connecting with art, poetry, music, and even with one another, creating with one another can feel so incredible. It's heaven on earth, literally. In other words, don't be afraid to play as an adult. Pick up the paintbrush and try creating that portrait or landscape scene that you've always wanted to try. Go for a hike. Break your addiction to processed foods. Oh, they're calling me out right now. <laughs> no, That's not nice. That. I'm like... But I, I mean, I obviously <laughs> like to, you know, eat some processed foods like cheese. Oh, cheese. <laughs> Laurel, I like some processed foods. <laughs> Find a job you love. That you love. Find a job you love. 
She's already getting in there. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna speed it up here. So yeah, I only have this last page. Did good. Self care might be a part of the process, but the process is not all about self care. It's more about following your heart, following what feels right. But you can't follow your heart if you don't take a step in the right direction. The most important thing is to start. And I know that there's a lot of suffering in the world right now, and we empathize with that and wish there could be more peace and harmony. The way to get there is to take care of your own spirit. There's a lot of things right now that we're all like, what can I do? How can I fix this? And we sort of allow ourselves to feel disempowered and disenfranchised because of the external circumstances. But really the only thing that we can do is change within ourselves. And that's the only thing that we can do. Because like I've said to you many, many times, as you begin to do your own work and as you begin to empower and enlighten yourself and find your own way and following your heart and finding your bliss and your inspiration in this life and begin to do it, that in turn is a permission slip to other people to do the same. You do not have to tell anybody what to do. You just have to be yourself and do the things that you are meant to do here and find it and do it. And that will be inspiration enough for other people. Simply live. Uh, it's okay to play and find joy even if there's suffering in the world. And I think that that's really important to hear right now. Because there is a lot of suffering right now. There is a lot of pain and anger and frustration and sorrow. But we do not have to dwell in that pain and suffering. We can continue forward in our lives and find where our inspiration and our joy lies and follow it. Does believing in ghosts mean I am a bad Christian? Now, I thought this was interesting. Initially, when I read this, I was like, well, nobody, at least not that I know of, is going to be a born-again Christian watching this. But then I thought, I'm a born-again Christian. I am. I was baptized. That doesn't change anything. I was still baptized. That's what I was raised into. That's what I chose into my teenage years. It doesn't change anything. I just think a little bit differently. I still love Christ very, very much. Very much. But I'm not doing it the same way as other people do it. That's the only difference. So this is why I wanted to talk about this, because even though I may not be going to a Christian church, it doesn't make me any less Christian. I'm just not doing the same thing that these assholes are doing. I'm, in my mind, I'm doing more of what Christ would have done, which is not following the fucking Pharisees. I'm out here with people, and that's what's important, is helping people see love and encounter love by me being loving. So let's talk about believing in ghosts meaning you're a bad Christian. Absolutely not. <laughs> because what else is a ghost? The Holy Ghost? Hello? Right? So they obviously believe in ghosts. So listen, Christian or not, any belief system or religion based in fear and judgment rather than love and acceptance is not the truth. It's not from or of God or source. 
And if we as humans weren't preoccupied with the afterlife and getting to a good afterlife, would religion even have a purpose? Because we're doing about this whole thing of reward and punishment. Again, another binary system set up to keep us in control. But we won't, we don't need to be in that. We don't need to be in a binary system. If we won't. It really, uh, it's really its sole purpose to help us lead a good, honorable life that leads us to a good afterlife. We can't acknowledge the existence of an afterlife and build systems around having a good one while at the same time saying ghosts and spirits are bad to believe and interact with. We shouldn't put our own obstructed view limits on what the afterlife is. I'm not a theologian, pastor, or spiritual leader. Maybe. I appreciate and learn about many religions, believe many aspects of different religions, as I believe they all go back to the one universal source of love and truth, or God, although I consider myself a Christian. And I'm sure if anybody, if any Christian would watch this, they'd be like, uh-uh, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. You know? I don't care. <laughs> but what feels right to me is one cannot fully be a Christian without believing in ghosts. Christianity teaches that our God is a holy trinity, which includes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And this type of ghost, the exact same as some of the ghosts that we've talked about throughout this blog post, arguably the Holy Ghost Spirit. It's interesting because I'm Catholic, and I've heard both people saying the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. Yes. because So they're using it like interchangeably. Right. Because in, in a way, it's sort of like an intrinsic sort of connection. But there is a difference between ghost and spirit. But if I were to dive into that a little bit, they can be both because they both can do the same sort of thing in a, in a way. Like a holy ghost, I guess, can follow in that perseveration, but it is of positive consciousness. But again, ghosts aren't technically conscious, right? Mm-hmm. They're separated from their I don't know. I don't think they know what they're talking about. I don't think they know what they're talking about either. I don't. <laughs> because they don't know the difference between ghosts and spirits. Right? Duh. I'm so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> anyway, me too. <laughs> okay, so, and spirits reside within each of us as well as outside of us. And to acknowledge spirit, respect spirit, and interact with spirit allows us to acknowledge a part of nature and ourselves that is connected to God, the universe, and your higher power. Opening our eyes to see the unseen is okay. Even in the even if in the past it always hasn't been for one reason or another, including that it can be scary. Embracing the Holy Spirit in yourself means acknowledging that energetic connection between human and spirit. Maybe you only want to worship one spirit because Christianity says that's what we are to do. And that's what's wonderful if that's what you choose. But believing in and interacting with other spirits doesn't mean you worship them. So I see no problem with it. Acknowledging that there's so much more to exist than we can see or fully explain with the knowledge we have at this time sets us up for continued growth, continued expansion, and continued fulfillment. It's okay to expand our awareness. We do this by suspending judgment. And at the end of the day, What's out there is out there, whether we acknowledge it or not. And that's it. Okay, before, before we go, 
Do we want to talk about our experiences? Do we want to talk about? I'll talk real quick because I you got to go. A couple minutes, but I, the first time I like interacted with my dad when he passed away was when Rachna did. It was the first time I went to her tea circle. Oh yeah! And she did um, a meditation to meet with your past loved ones. And he came to me, and we literally just like. Because I didn't live with him for most of the time. He would visit me and hang out in my room with me and just watch TV. And that's literally what we did, like, when I saw him. Yeah. And then it was kind of confirmed because there was a later meditation that I just did on my own. And he came to me again and he told me how much he loved that time we spent together. Oh, my gosh. She's special. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What about, like, if you just, like... Like, the other day, like, I just, the corner of my eye saw someone walk by, and then I went to look the person, and no one was there. Yeah, okay, hang on. I just wrote some notes on that really quick. Hold on, give me a second. Uh, third eye opening. Okay. So you're, you know that your third eye is opening when you're able to see those shadows without an actual source. And it's interesting, because it happened to me right before this class, and I feel like Someone knew I was coming to learn about this, oh, and they yeah. were like, I'm coming with you. I'm a kiss, Yeah. One other thing I did want to say, there was also a time where I encountered a negative spirit, and literally my salt lamp in my room started flickering, and then it just, like, turned off, and then I saw a black, like, it was, and I was so scared. And I think oh. that's when I came to Crystal Bowl and I was like, help me. Oh, <laughs> peanut. Oh, my God. And literally, I got my selenite over my door and under my bed, and yes. I started saying, yeah. So, and here's, here's the, here is real work. We put so much power in the tools to protect us mm-hmm. that we don't focus and internalize that protection. We don't remember that that power comes from here. You know, and so if you really want that protection and that power, here, here, nothing can touch you yeah. unless you want. So that shadow, instead of it being something that you're scared of, now granted, obviously this is a past circumstance, but we're learning, we're understanding what is with us and what is could be with us in a sense, or what is out there. We're getting an idea, and so. We have to understand that we can do those things without fear or judgment. We can just, oh, okay. That's easier said than done because I'm not sitting here looking at a wave of black shadow taking over my poor selenite lamp. <laughs> Which I is like, like, yeah, easy for you to say, Lorelai, you're not in the <laughs> circumstance. But I have been in situations. It's, you know, you do. It's hard to not get scared. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, if you can shift your focus and your perception of things, I feel the fear rising. There is enough to be afraid of. I am my power. And this is a this thing is observing me. And that's fine. But it can't affect me. Not unless I let it. You know? You can look and see shadows and know that okay. I'm not allowed to affect this. This is this is where this is where the light lives. And it doesn't have permission. That sort of thing. You are the source. You don't have to be affected if you don't want to. Okay, now baby. Love you. 
If you loved this episode, please share it. Share it with somebody that you love. Share it with somebody that you think might need this information. And please be sure to check out all of the classes and the workshops that I have available on Akasha Flicks. You can also check out my Instagram and TikTok and my website for weekly pick a cards. Every Monday I do a pick a card so that you can high vibe for the rest of the week. And I have lots of really amazing in-person classes if you're in the Brentwood, Antioch, Oakley area lots of lots of in-person classes and different things so check everything out dm me for a reading or for spiritual coaching i'm here for it you guys and until the next episode love and light to you all